Welcome to the Get Heard with Ian Roth podcast, where it is our mission to enable leaders to effectively engage and motivate their audience through written and verbal communication. Hey, everybody. Hope you're having a great day. This is the Get Heard podcast with Ian Roth, and today's guest is Naftali Huff, where we talk about various leadership topics, including delegation, emotional intelligence, and just leadership in general. So if you haven't checked out Naftali yet, he just wrote a book about new leaders and some of the lessons learned and things that he wishes that he would have known when first becoming a leader earlier on in his career. And just a little bit about Naftali. His career is just filled with some absolute amazing professional and educational accomplishments. He currently has his own business. He holds two master's degrees. He has a doctorate in psychology. So an extreme subject matter expert in the field of leadership. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hey, everybody. I am so absolutely pumped to have my guest here, Naftali Hoff. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for hopping on my podcast on with such very short notice. I think we had a couple conversations going back and forth on LinkedIn in the last five hours or so. And here we are, you uh, on the show. So man, I, I appreciate it so much. Thank you for coming on here. Yeah, thank you, Ian, for having me. It's uh, you know, it's it's always an oppor- it's always a pleasure to have the opportunity to have conversation around leadership and and whatnot. And yeah, this was very last minute, um, but we we made it happen. So I'm delighted to be with you and excited to have the conversation. Likewise, I feel the same way. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, the things you're up to, projects you're working on? I know that they'd love to hear it. Yeah, sure. So I am a leadership coach with a particular focus on productivity. So my my ideal client, the person I love to work with, is somebody who is um, successful, has uh, a lot going on in their business, but it's just struggling to keep up with their workload, you know, because we just have so many things we have to attend to. And so uh, it's a matter of identifying what are some of the opportunities that exist to become more productive, both personally and for your team, to create opportunities for flow, improve conversation, plan things better, and then sustain processes moving forward so that you get the work done that you need to, reduce workplace stress, increase output, and still get home at a decent hour so that you could live the life you want to live with the proper balance. So productivity is a huge focus of mine, Ian, at this time. And uh, I'm actually in the process of finalizing. I'm just waiting it, frankly, I'm waiting for a couple of pieces to fall into place. Um, But I will have a productivity assessment up on my website soon. That's impactfulcoaching.com. I'm going to have that up there. And I also just got back today from my graphic designer, a productivity blueprint with five steps that I walk people through in the area of productivity, which again, some of which I alluded to before, uh, the idea of planning, um, sharing, doing, sustaining, and leading. And I feel that all aspects of that are necessary for true productivity to occur in a workplace. So that is, that's the focus. I've got a podcast, I've got a blog, I've got a bunch of other things that I do, um, but teaching is my passion. Coaching is my passion. Actually, I'm a former uh, teacher, school leader, college professor. Uh, so pivoted into this space about six years ago at this point because I wanted to be able to give on a different level. And um, having conversations like this one is just another opportunity to do that. That is awesome. Thank you so much. And 
I sort of hear the theme of everything that you're doing and things that are important to you being around productivity. Would you say that's right? Yeah. Yeah. And one, one area that I didn't mention, but it definitely falls within that is delegation as well. So I'm running a delegation masterclass right now. And the idea is that many leaders in their attempt to get things done, oftentimes will, for lack of a better term, hoard the work. Maybe they're afraid that they don't have the right people or that if they try to train somebody, it's going to take a lot of their time. And they don't see the benefits and the long-term necessity of delegating work out to other people. So really breaking through those barriers, those resistant points, helping people understand that delegation is your friend if you use it properly, but also understanding what work can or should be delegated and what needs to stay with the leader. So it's, it's, it's a more complex process, and that's probably another reason why many people don't do it. But if you learn how to do it and do it correctly, then it could really transform your role because you as the leader need to be focusing on doing the right work and the work that's going to move the organization forward. Um, and if you wind up doing everybody else's work or the work that maybe you would have done once upon a time in a different iteration, then you'll never have the bandwidth, the focus, and the time to grow the business and to provide the vision that leadership is really all about. Wow, you said a lot of awesome things there. I think something that is extremely underrated in the world today and organizations and just overall in general is delegation. So I'm so happy you brought that up. In my organization, I have roughly 160 people that I'm responsible for. And that uh, I, that makes me have to delegate a lot of my things because that's a lot of decisions, a lot of things that are going on that I, I can't physically do everything for everyone. So delegation is a very good friend of mine. And I just wanted to ask you, with your experience and your coaching that you've done, what are a couple of mistakes in delegation that you often see leaders make and how can leaders avoid them in the future? Yeah. So I think it really starts from a, um, how do I say this? It's the, the question seems to imply once they're delegating, what are the mistakes that they make? And that's a question I'd like to answer as well. But I think before that, even the biggest mistake, similar to what I alluded to before is that they don't delegate when they should. Sure. That to me is probably the biggest mistake that leaders make because again, they don't see either the immediate value. They were frustrated from past attempts that didn't move forward the way that they would have wanted to. And so they kind of give up and they develop this mindset of been there, done that, tried it, didn't succeed. I'll just do it myself. So that's one thing that I think leaders need to really be able to get past. And of course, easier said than done. But fundamentally, that, that mindset needs to change. Once you're delegating, another, another area or concern that I think oftentimes um, plagues leaders is that they think that delegation is the same thing as direction on the one extreme and abdication on the other extreme. So there are different models that, that we could use. Let's, let's focus on the situational leadership model of Ken Blanchard for a moment used in the One Minute Manager and in other management books and resources that the Ken Blanchard companies have created over the years. Um, in effect, depending on where the individual is, I'm referring now to the delegatee, in other words, the person that you are delegating to, depending on where they are, both in terms of their experience as well as their commitment level, your reaction or your guidance as a leader will vary. 
So if they're early on, you're going to direct them more. Over time, you're going to coach them more and support them. But eventually, you're actually you're going to delegate to them. So in other words, delegation is only, at least in this model, delegation is only at the back end of a process where there's competence and there's sustainable commitment. And you generally, you genuinely can feel that the other person can do the job with some guidance. But I do want to emphasize that because on the other hand, you don't want to abdicate. So in other words, I don't want to be in a situation, delegation is not where I punt responsibility to somebody else and say, here it is, it's all yours, good luck, you know, let me know when it's done. There needs to be a process of planning on the front end, of checking in on a regular basis throughout, you know, redirecting and clarifying and correcting as necessary, and then bringing it to closure. And the model or the uh, the paradigm that I, that I often reference, which I think is a wonderful one, at least for some situations, is that of John C. Maxwell, where he talks about the 10-80-10 rule, which is heavy emphasis on the front end and on the back end, the first 10% and the last 10%, where the leader is very much in the mix, having conversation, planning out the process at the beginning, and then reviewing everything and making sure it's all good to go, kind of tying a bow around it on the back end. And for the large part, letting the team work out the 80% on their own. So it's a bit of a different model, a bit of a different focus. And I often use the analogy of an airplane pilot. You know, at the beginning, the most important role of the pilot is a takeoff and at landing. You know, that's where their expertise is most critical. The rest of it, they're largely on, you know, um, cruise control or autopilot. And the plane is just doing its thing. Obviously, they have to be present. They have to be involved, turbulence, whatever. But for the most part, they're not taking an active posture. And leaders could really follow that same example. So whether you're using the 108010 or using situational leadership, or even if you use the Eisenhower matrix, which you might know as the urgent, important, not urgent, not important, those are the two extremes. And then you have the, the kind of like the blended two, the hybrid in the middle, you know, knowing where different, different tasks fit, you have the four Ds, which is do, um, th- there's, there's do, uh, maybe defer, delegate, and delete. I think the second one is defer, but do is where it's urgent and important. You got to get it done right now. There's a fire in the building. You need to deal with the issue immediately, whatever that is. The defer is when you can think about it. It's really where you want to be operating most of the time as a leader, where you um, the matter is important. It's significant. It deserves your time in particular, your attention, but it's not critical or urgent that it happens this moment. And that's where really the primary growth of an organization occurs, where leaders can engage in visionary type behavior. The delegate piece is where it's not so important, um, but there is an element of uh, of urgency to it. And so it, it does get done, but it doesn't have to get done by you. And then when it's not urgent or important, then you just get rid of it completely. So uh, there are some tasks, you know, uh, um, spam, you know, email checking, social media for some people, some, some things like that fit into that last quadrant. But knowing where each responsibility fits and knowing, therefore, as a result, is this something I should be doing? Is this something I can and should be delegating to somebody else? That is an important consideration. And one more thing, Ian, I'll mention before I, you know, circle back to your next question is that oftentimes I think leaders underestimate the people that they have in their building, the people that they have on their team. You know, we often kind of put people in boxes and we say, well, these are their skill sets. 
Uh, this is what they've been able to do until now. And we don't take the time to reimagine what they are capable of doing or give them opportunity, put them in position where they can demonstrate new skills or maybe even give them the framework, the, the coursework, the mentorship to help them grow and help them develop. So if leaders were, in fact, to think about growing leaders, if you continue, if, if you imagine yourself as trying to fill your leadership pipeline on a regular basis, you, in many cases, will have people that develop into leaders over time and can step up as necessary to fill roles that emerge so that you, as the primary leader, can continue to do the right work at all times. Wow. Uh, some powerful stuff there about delegation. My, my next question, I had a different question, but just from your explaining of that made me think of another question. But my, my next question is, if I were one of your students or a client looking to go to the next level and I told you, you know, hey, I'm, I just don't see the value in delegating I don't see the value in training other people, taking the valuable time out of my day to show someone else to do, to show someone else how to do something when I can just do it in half the time and be done with it. What would you say to that person who shows those, uh, that skepticism for delegating? Yeah, I think, I think it depends. To me, the primary consideration in response to that is whether or not this is a one-off or if we're talking about something that's going to be ongoing. So if it's a one-time thing, yeah, there's no question that all the training time that's going to be necessary is going to take you away from other things. But if you want to have the bandwidth and the time to do, again, the right work, more of it, more regularly, and you're talking about tasks that if you train somebody's even in a meaningful way on the front end, you can be assured that you will not have to spend a lot of time down the road and you can largely feel confident that the work will be done correctly, then I would say go ahead and invest the time because it'll, be def it'll definitely be worth your while. Um, and so I have that even, for example, we talked about podcasts. So as you know, there's a lot of back-end work to a podcast. There's everything from finding and scheduling guests and then there's the editing and the post-production, the show notes, all these things that podcasts require. I'm working with somebody right now who is going to be ultimately responsible for a lot of that so that I can go ahead and do other things during that time rather than me going ahead and doing that myself. And I've had other people that have helped me in the past and aren't helping me at the moment for whatever the reason. But the point is, it's worth it for me to spend the extra time to go and schedule calls and walk them through processes and make them feel fully comfortable. Because I know that if I don't, I will be doing all that work myself. And I know that that's not what I should be doing to help me grow my business. Sure. That frees up your time so that you have more time to do things that only you can do is, I think, the extreme big point right there. I mean, someone else can listen to your show and generate show notes. Someone else can take the audio files from your show and edit it appropriately, but only you can create unique content with your flavor and your style to deliver it the way you want to. So I think you brought up an excellent point there. Yeah. And in a workplace, it might look a little different. We're not producing podcasts per se, but again, leaders have certain things that they need to be doing. Whatever that is, and that's defined differently in a different environment, 
Um, but if they don't delegate, then they're not going to be able to do that because it'll all fall squarely on them. And that's what we're trying to avoid here. Um, I would say more so almost than anything else. So leaders, future leaders, if you're listening to this, heed these words, free up your time, delegate tasks that other people are capable of doing or that don't need your absolute involvement so that you can free up your time to make the decisions, to do the things that only you as the leader can do. Excellently said. I don't think I could have said any better than you did. I appreciate it. And if I may add one more mistake, since we're on the topic, I, I think I think people often underestimate their own their own value. So if you think about what is your time worth in the office and what could you be doing with time that is freed up from delegation, it becomes a lot easier to justify extra expenses associated with delegating. Because oftentimes we say, well, I could let's just use the show notes example again. I could do the show notes myself and I'll save the money from hiring a VA or hiring somebody else to come in and do that work. But we forget that I could bring somebody in for relative pennies on the dollar compared to what I would charge for my own professional fees. And that's certainly true for a leader as well. When you think about what a leader is is earning compared to other members of the team, organization, et cetera, you know, their time really needs to be, I think they have an obligation, a mandate. You know, they think they're saving a few, a few, a few dollars over here or over there. Really, their obligation is to be able to leverage their skills, expertise, et cetera, in other ways and, and, and expend a little bit of additional money so that they can really help the organization grow, however that's ultimately defined. Again, great points, uh, Naftali. Awesome. I, I completely agree. I, I heard in someone else's podcast that, you know, like you said, what is your time worth as the leader? So as the leader, I want to be doing and I need to be doing just throw a number on it, the $100 an hour work. So I need to get rid of all the $10 an hour work and, you know, subcontract it out, find a VA or whomever so that I can focus and have my number one priority and goal in life at doing that, that high dollar stuff, utilizing my expertise and experience. Let's shift gears here a little bit. We discussed delegation, I think. There's some awesome topics there, a lot of good things for people to take away and implement. Moving to, let's talk about emotional intelligence. So I read Emotional Intelligence 2.0, oh, I don't know, maybe five years ago or so. And it really changed my outlook on a lot of things, especially as a leader, um, you know, in my civilian and military career. So what can you tell me about emotional intelligence? I should ask you first. What is it for those of us who don't know, and why is it important? Yeah. Okay. So uh, to to back it up just a little bit, if I may, um, you know, it's interesting. I wrote a book for for new leaders, and I wasn't I wasn't conscious of this. And, and the title, by the way, is "Becoming the New Boss." Um, we could talk about that perhaps a little bit later. But the point is that when I wrote it, I didn't have an agenda per se about let's call it any type of balance related to this amount, you know, this kind of content versus that kind of content. It turned out that upwards, I would say of maybe 90% of the content in my book is um, soft and human skills related as opposed to what we might call technical skills. So technical skills might be how to delegate, uh, even though there's soft skills, you know, embedded within it, how to manage change, things like this. But soft skills are relationship building, 
developing equity with your team, um, establishing the kind of rapport and the kind of culture, kind of values that really motivate and engage people and drive them towards not only success in the moment, but like the sustained success that helps everybody feel like they're they're driving the the the, the ship in a, in a in a very positive direction that keeps them you know motivated and whatnot. And so emotional intelligence is an important piece of that because what it is in effect, the same way we have what we call conventional intelligence or academic intelligence, what we call IQ, my ability to problem solve, my ability to understand information, utilize it and, uh, and, and transfer it into other situations as well. A person who is successful, and there's a lot of research um, on this point, that People who succeed in the workplace, not only leaders, but but regular, uh, you know, staff members, um, team members, etc. A lot of their success is directly attributed to their ability to understand, to self-regulate, to understand their own emotions, as well as to properly process and engage with others in a healthy emotional way. Because if we are technically skilled we know we know the work but we don't have the wherewithal to engage with other people there are going to be significant drop-offs not only in productivity in morale um and whatnot so it's an important piece i certainly would encourage folks to read up about it like you did the writing of daniel goleman to understand the five primary components of emotional intelligence which is self-awareness self-regulation internal motivation empathy and social skills and, you know, everybody operates in a different place in all of these areas. Um, and oftentimes self-awareness and self-regulation are hardest because we are, we focus on other people and how their behaviors look to us, et cetera. And we oftentimes don't think about what our behaviors look like to others, you know, and, 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 and how we need to be mindful of that. I remember when I was young, my mom used to say, if I could only hold a, you know, a mirror up to you, so you've only see your face right now, that kind of thing as if to say I wasn't even aware of how I was coming across. So I think that's important. But to me right now, if I had to pick of those five, the one that I would encourage everybody to spend meaningful time with is the one, uh, number four, which is empathy. Because if we are empathic, which is more than being sympathetic, it's different than sympathetic. Empathic is really, you know, trying to put yourself in the other person's position and really feel their challenge, really feel their struggle, which is a lot of what coaching is about. It's understanding where the other person is and helping them move to a better place through questions, through suggestions, through tools and techniques, et cetera. So a leader who is empathic, a leader who tries to understand, if you're familiar with Simon Sinek, you know that he often will talk about how the best leaders don't just jump in and say things like, you didn't hit your goals for this quarter. And if this continues, you're out. It's, you didn't hit your goals this quarter. What's going on? You know, what are, what are the issues here? How can I help you? It's taking a different perspective. And there are companies, not too many, but there are companies out there that will never fire people or never let people go because they ultimately say that with proper support, whether it's empathy or other supports, so long as they decided to bring that person on in the first place because they they figured or they they determined that it was a good fit, any failure that a person has or perceived failure from that point forward is something that with proper empathy, support, understanding, and guidance, that person can be redirected and could, you know, ultimately get to a better place. So as a leader, you need to think about 
you know, how are you interacting with others? If you don't know, I would encourage you certainly to engage in some self-assessments. A 360, for example, will give you good feedback, um, self-feedback as well as feedback from others about how you are engaging. Uh, understanding your leadership style is another way that you could start to think about this. Um, but it's ultimately a, ma a matter of putting in the time. Um, and there, by the way, there are also emotional intelligence quizzes that you could take, like self-assessments. So a lot of tools out there. Um, but once you have a sense of your current EQ, right, which is your um, emotional intelligence, your emotional quotient, so to speak, then it's a matter of making that a priority, consistent, constantly thinking about not only am I getting the right work done, and do I understand things on a technical level, but am I motivating my people by being emotionally in tune with them and using my skills socially, relationally, et cetera, to motivate, engage, and inspire? I know empathy is something that I really struggled with, especially before reading the book. I, it's just, I was always the person, in your example, you didn't hit the sales goals. This is strike one, yada, yada. But I quickly found out that's, that does not work. Like, 99% of the time does not work. So that's a terrible way to lead. And I was fortunate enough by reading the book that I realized that I was doing that, which I think is, I mean, really maybe the hardest, if not most important part of emotional intelligence is realizing that you're doing something and then making the deliberate effort to change your behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's always hard for people. Change is one of the scariest words in the dictionary, right? Nobody wants to change. We like routine. We're comfortable with the way that we have developed. And uh, to be told that we're doing something wrong or to even to, re to recognize it on our own, that makes it easier, but it's still not easy. So I think it takes a lot of courage and I applaud you, you know, for not only coming to the realization, but for taking action around it. Because that's ultimately what drives leadership success for the long term. It absolutely does. And as leaders, we need to be in it for the long term. That's why delegating is so important. That's why emotional intelligence is so important. Putting the effort in now to train other people so that you can delegate, putting the time in now to become emotionally intelligent so you know what your most likely courses of action are and how you think and how other people are receiving your information. Doing that stuff now is going to pay you dividends and make sure that you are successful in the long run. So absolutely. Yeah. Great points. And I think the, the final topic I want to discuss today is some advice or tips that you have for new leaders, people who have been in an organization, have done their time at the ground level, have worked hard, worked their way up, got promoted. And, you know, they were just a person doing a job with no responsibility over other people and are now in charge of other human beings and some of the things that that they need to learn so they can be successful in being a new leader. Yeah, for sure. Well, so first of all, you just tossed me a softball here because uh, um, definitely get the book. Yes, absolutely. I would <laughs> because that's really what I wrote it for. But you, but within that, if I may, um, I think it's a mindset shift, and this is an important piece because so often when people are before they're promoted to leadership, you know, so they're, they're working really hard. They're trying to get noticed. They want to get promoted. Um, and, and that's totally fine. That's, that's what, that's what excites us. That's what motivates us to work hard and do the right things. 
Um, but it's mainly about us. And there are some people who are we oriented in their, you know, part of their disposition, but even they need to recognize that when you become the leader, all of your success is ultimately defined by the success of the team. It's never defined by your personal success. You might get the credit, you know, for example, so we're recording this on the same day or maybe the day after David Stern, the longtime NBA commissioner died. And so he's, you know, I, I was listening on the radio and the talking about his legacy and all the things he did. You know, it's probably true that he was in, he was in on all of that, but he probably didn't do a lot of it. He probably had a lot of very talented people around him, but he was able to leverage the talents, give them guidance and direction, and then move the league and the messaging and the branding and all of that forward. And of course, it didn't hurt to have Magic and Larry and Michael, you know, all 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 kind of like hitting their stride around that same time as well. But the idea is that you 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 live by your team, you you succeed by your team, and you also fail by your team. So if you move your mindset from from we from me to we, recognize that it's no longer we talked about delegation before. It's no longer about you being the super technician, just doing all of the work. Right. If you read the e-myth, you'll understand the terminology there. Um, but you have to move to a point where you are guiding the ship, where you are providing that. that that's, that's one piece of, of important advice. And the other one is build relationships. I mentioned John Maxwell before, so I'm going to share something that I've seen quoted from him, though I never actually saw it in print. I only saw a visual. But the, I'll, pre- I'll present quickly four scenarios. So if you support the leader, and you support the leader's agenda, then the outcome is obvious. Get behind the leader and make things happen. If you have the opposite extreme where you don't support the leader and you don't support his or her agenda, then the outcome is also pretty obvious, which is get another leader. Where it gets interesting is in the middle. If I support the leader, but I don't support his or her agenda, then the outcome typically is get another agenda. On the other hand, if I support the leader's agenda, but I don't support the leader, him or herself, get another leader. And the reason for that is because we, at the end of the day, it's, it's the relationship, it's the emotion, it's the connection that drives everything we do. And if we like the person who is leading and providing that guidance, then they will forgive, we will forgive the, ver- the inevitable mistakes that exist or that are created or that come to light because we're all human, we all make mistakes and people will forgive when they, when they want to. But if they don't like the, the leader, if the leader has gotten off on the wrong foot, has been a bull in a china shop, has not taken the time to build relationships, and even relationships can be tricky themselves, especially when you've been promoted from within, but that's probably for a different conversation, then everything you do will be second-guessed. Everything you do will be resisted because I'm not resisting your idea. I love your idea. But because I don't like you or I don't like what you stand for, I'm going to get in your way. So leaders need to remember that building doesn't mean you should become chummy. doesn't mean that you should go out and, and sort of just, you know, blur the lines between leader and, and team member here or direct report. There are ways to do it in a healthy way, but prioritize relationships, build equity up front, be a great listener and understand that the ultimate success of your of you and your whole company is through your team. And if you have those perspectives in mind, you generally will succeed. An uh, old supervisor of mine once said, 
you can be friendly with your employees, but do not be friends with them. So I think that's a very powerful, simple statement, but speaks a lot to what you were just saying. You cannot be too chummy with the people on your team who work for you, but at the same time, you want and you absolutely need them to support you and in what you're doing because the relationships are so powerful in that. Yeah. And again, if you are promoted from within, then you have to realize that you're no longer, you know, sharing the next cubicle over from the other person. You are, um, you know, it, it's a totally different relationship. And while you can still um, have positivity and all of this, you can't continue to operate the way that you once did. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I know that from experience, I've I was in a situation where I was too friendly and was friends with people and saw that blow up in my face. And now, if anything, I am just friendly enough to get people to do what I need them to do, while at the same kind, to same time steering the ship and making sure that we're doing everything that we need to do. So it is a fine line, like you said, and you just need to always have that in mind so you don't cross the line accidentally. Absolutely. So you wrote a book about this topic. So I would love for you to just go into a little, little summary of it, what inspired you to write it and tell us what's it all about. Sure. Okay. So it's called Becoming the New Boss, The New Leader's Guide to Sustained Success. Uh, it's available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and other online retailers. Um, it is a book that I wish I would have had when I first started out in my own leadership journey in school leadership. And so I do use some personal vignettes, some personal challenges, stories, et cetera, to kind of capture the mood as well as tap into a variety of other stories and lessons from famous people or perhaps not, not some not so famous people. Um, interestingly, the book was written, it was sort of like reverse engineered. I had written a lot of leadership content for a variety of blogs, my own and others. And I sought to thread it all together in a way that would bring the various concepts to one, I guess you'd say kind of like one central location. And it moves the reader from the very beginning, you know, trying to get a feel for what it is that you want out of a career and, 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 and what particular uh, positions offer, what to be looking for, understanding the culture and the history, finding the historians in the room, this kind of thing. And then working to build yourself up you know, taking baby steps initially, we talked about listening, building equity. Um, we talked about having values and you using them to guide your process, knowing when to shift into change and how to manage change effectively. And then the last section focuses on really sustaining the leadership process, because obviously the biggest hurdles on the front end, if you succeed at the beginning, typically you will have longer term success. But if you don't take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, if you don't understand what the leadership journey really is all about and what you want to get from it besides for a paycheck or from some revenue, then it's going to be difficult for you to avoid the, the, the inevitable burnout and feelings of just, you know, sort of going through the motions. So it's a, it's a soup to nuts manual. It's not written in a manual form. It's much more of a narrative um, story-like form, short chapters, punchy, to the point, very practical. And at the same time, it's uh, it's intended that you could pick up the book in any of the sections and find a place where you are and uh, and find relevance there. 
And most people who have read it, even if they've been very, uh, they are very experienced in their leadership journeys, told me that well over 90% of the book could be relevant or is relevant to any leader, even though it is packaged for the new leader, um, because ultimately leadership at its core is universal and it, uh, and it's eternal and it doesn't really change all that much. It's just the applications that change. Outstanding. So if you have not picked up the book, go on to Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I will be doing the same. Sounds like an absolute must read from Naftali. Uh, Awesome. Super happy for you. I know I want to write a book and I think it'll be a conversation for later. Like, how did you write a book and, you know, your planning, all that other stuff. I'd love to pick your brain about that one of these days. Yeah, my pleasure. So that about wraps up all of the interview questions that I have for you. We discussed productivity, emotional intelligence, delegation, advice for new leaders. Do you have any closing comments you want everybody to hear before we wrap it up? Yeah, I think that it just, you know, keep keep a keep learning. It's it's an important piece in all of this, you know, because um you know, I have a lot of advanced degrees. I hold two master's degrees and a doctorate. And actually, as an Orthodox Jew, I also hold rabbinic ordination. So from a from a clerical or educational standpoint, I kind of have, you know, reached the apex. And yet I find that whether it's because I hung a shingle and kind of pivoted my career in a different direction or just wanting to stay current, it's very important to keep learning. And if you're busy like myself and many others, uh, and you can't sit down to read as much as you'd like, you know, have an Audible account or some other way by which obviously consume podcasts like this one, um, keep learning, stay current, stay inspired, because there's so much that could distract you in this world. And if you're not able to stay focused on what's most important to you and what activities will give you the best value and the best ROI, it's easy to get lost and to lose out. So keep Absolutely. That as a Lifelong learning is huge. You're never too young. You're never too old to learn. So something you should be doing throughout your entire life, regardless of your age. Excellently stated there, Naftali. Well, that about wraps up everything. Thank you so much for being on the show. I think you provided some phenomenal information, not only that I will put in my toolkit and implement, but for our listeners out there. So again, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. That was Naftali Huff. Again, if you haven't checked him out, please check out his book, check out his website. He's doing some absolute great things. Phenomenal coach. It was an absolute honor and privilege to be able to interview him and ask him all these questions. Again, I've been a leader for a while and I learned so much from him just during this conversation. And please, if you haven't done so, check out what he has to offer. And if you haven't done so also, please follow this podcast. If you like the content that I'm putting out, please tell a friend about it, share it with a friend, follow me on LinkedIn, follow me on Instagram, and the new email address is up and running finally, and it is ian, I-A-N, at getheardpodcast.com. Thank you so much. I'll see you next time.